Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hello, and welcome to the Carrie Faith on Purpose podcast. I'm your host, Carrie Faith. As an energy healer, psychology, and human behavior specialist, trainer, mentor, writer, speaker, and lifelong student of self-development myself, I am here to support you to manifest your wildest dreams. We make it fun, easy, and predictable on the show with inspiration, motivation, and transformational principles for lifelong change. You can consider me your spiritual guide in your pocket, leading you towards your highest purpose and trusting yourself you are on the right path. I share real conversations with visionary women who are top leaders in their fields after they themselves pivoted and stepped into their higher purpose in life. This show is for the woman who wants it all and more and is ready to step into her infinite power and potential from within. Are you ready? Let's begin. This week on the podcast, I am so honored to share with you Dr. Bruce Goldberg, who transitioned from his doctorate in dental surgery to committing his lifetime's passion and purpose and work in his hypnotherapy practice in Los Angeles, California since 1989. Dr. Goldberg was trained by the American Society of Clinical Hypnosis in 1975. He has been featured and interviewed on Coast to Coast AM, Oprah, Joan Rivers, Regis, Jerry Springer, Jenny Jones, Montel Williams shows, and the list goes on. CNN, NBC, Fox, CBS News, and many more. He's had interviews in Time, the Los Angeles Times, USA Today, and the Washington Post. He has conducted more than 35,000 plus 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 past life regressions and future life progressions since 1974. Yes, I said that, 1974. Helping thousands and thousands of patients empower themselves through these techniques he is sharing with you today. His CDs, books, and videos teach people self-hypnosis and guide them into past and future lives. He is also a consultant to corporations, attorneys, and the local and network media. His first edition book of Search for Grace was made into a movie by CBS. Without further explanation, I'm honored to share this conversation with Dr. Bruce Goldberg and myself so you can understand what it's like to work, be, and create in the fifth dimension. Dr. Bruce Goldberg, I am so honored and thankful that you're sharing your time and your wisdom with the audience today. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure. It's always a pleasure to be with people that are metaphysically oriented and getting the information out to the universe. Absolutely. So I don't want to waste any time. I want to dive right into the question on how you were led to learning about the fifth dimension. Well, it's a rather complex story, but let's just say that I had my own little epiphany. Many years ago when I was in college, I was coming back from uh, I, I was going back to, to school from a semester break and it was snowing. This is the Long Island, New York. I'm from New York City. So this is Long Island. I'm driving to New Haven, Connecticut, where I went to college. And um, it was snowing out, which is no big deal. The powder snow, if you're in New York, you know, you deal with that. What I didn't realize is at that time, it was going to be the largest snowstorm in 
New York City in 100 years. And uh, my car would not make it back to New Haven. I was in a snowdrift near somewhere in the Bronx. I almost froze to death, okay, literally. And um, there was a voice. I got to try and dig my car out. And of course, I couldn't do that. I was soaking wet. I was going to freeze to death. There was a, a voice in my head. Now, I am psychologically stable, so I am not schizophrenic. There was a voice in my head that said, walk on a 45-degree angle straight ahead. Now, if you're in a snowstorm, you can't see anything. It's all white. Mm -hmm. It's called snow blindness. So I said, what do I got to lose? I'm going to die. I mean, there's no way I'm going to survive this thing. So I walked 45-degree angle, being a scientist, as a biochemistry major, I know what 45 degrees is. And after about 20 minutes, I see this neon sign, like the image of a neon sign. So I know there's a building there. And sure enough, it was a catering place in the Bronx that was open interest. It was a Sunday. I walked in there. It was heated. There was lights on. And literally, that issue saved my life. The voice in my head that I heard later on, many years later, I found out was a time traveler from the 36th century that was communicating with me to save my life because my work in the future that I know I deal with now taking people in the future lives I developed that field is known in 1500 years so that was my experience from the fifth dimension the time travel travels through the fifth dimension they travel through wormholes that's how they come here so that was my orientation that got me to got very metaphysically oriented because before then I didn't care at all about this field. I wasn't against it. I just didn't have the time for it. So uh, then I devoted a lot of time for it. And the rest is history, as they say. Wow. So you connected to the 36th century is what you're telling me. And that voice in your head was the information from the future. Well, the woman actually, she connected with me. She came from the 36th century to the 20th century at the time and traveled through a wormhole and stayed in what we call the upper astral plane, which is the fifth dimension, you see? So that was where the fifth dimension came in. What a fascinating story. Wow. I'm like, my heart is beating. I cannot believe that. Now let's dive into, for the audience. By the way, my, my heart was beating then too, okay? Like I am in your skin. I feel that almost. Wow, as an empath. So let's dive into a little bit. How can we simplify the meaning of the fifth dimension? Okay. And so I know that you explain yeah, the different planes. It, it's really not as complicated as people think. Number one, you have three dimensional world that we live in that our physical senses are accustomed to perceive length, width, and breadth, or depth, height, whatever you want to call it. Now, physicists use the fourth dimension. Let me clear something because you get there's a lot of misconception in the field. People say, hey, I'm into 4D. There's no such thing as 4D. Fourth dimension is time. It's a theoretical concept. It's used in the mathematical equations, okay? String theory, M1 theory, uh, quantum mechanics, that's what that means. The fifth dimension then is anything beyond time. This would include things like the astral plane, which I'm sure your uh, viewers are used to, and I'm sure you know what that is. Parallel universes also fit into the fifth dimension. And any of these other dimensions going all the way up to the higher planes into heaven or nirvana, which would be called the higher planes, those are all the fifth dimension. So when you enter the fifth dimension, and I train people to do that, really not as complicated as you might think, then the earth plane senses are irrelevant. You can see and hear things from the fifth dimension that you can't on the third dimension. And when you're in the fifth dimension, let's say the astral plane to make it simple, all time is simultaneous. So if you're in the fifth dimension, you could perceive your own past, present, and future or parallel lives. Mm -hmm. see? So for example, if you're looking at a past life situation, we call that past life regression. If you're looking at a future life or the future of this life, we call that progression either age progression or future life progression. If you're looking at a parallel life, we'll discuss that in a moment, 
Uh, that's called a paragression. That's a term that I turned many years ago. So that's what you can do in the fifth dimension. It's the space-time continuum, which is supported by quantum physics and astrophysics. There's really no argument about the fifth dimension being real and being uh, an exotic area compared to our three-dimensional world. So fascinating. So I have a question because I know that you first... you're career was in dentistry. What led you exactly from dentistry, which you did part-time, and then just felt like you needed and you must devote your whole life's work and mission to well, hypnotherapy? Well, uh, that epiphany when I was in college was before my dental training. So that got me on the path to studying metaphysics. Uh, as, a, as I developed my dental practice, which was really only, it was full-time for a couple of years, but then you might say I decided after having patients of mine using hypnosis to take them into the past and future lives, you might, you might say now I drill into past and future lives rather than drilling into people's teeth, okay, get that? All right, uh, but my point is, is that I started working uh, with uh, take, using hypnosis for past life regression. I had read the book, The Search for Bridie Murphy, which is not a book that you may be familiar with. It was written in 1956 about, about a, uh, a Colorado businessman who took this woman uh, named Virginia Teague into a very documented past life in Ireland in the late 18th century. Uh, this was 19, early 1950s, so you can imagine what the Catholic Church thought about it, okay, uh, among others. Anyway, he, uh, I eventually met uh, Maury Bernstein was his name. He became a good friend of mine. Uh, so when I read that book, I said, okay, this is kind of cool. If it works, fine. If not, I'll just move on and use uh, hypnosis and dentistry for pain control and apprehension. Well, the very first person I worked with was a friend of mine. Uh, she was a grad student in social work, and I took her into like about 10 different past lives, which was fine, except that I didn't know her very well. I just met her. She overcame two habits of phobia that I didn't know she had because I just met her uh, by using the techniques. And that got me into being more interested because of the clinical use of it, because it's not just a question of curiosity. Now we're dealing with clinical use. And I've never been a big fan of regular conventional therapy. I figured it really doesn't work. And if it didn't work, I wouldn't have any patients, right? Think about it, okay? So um, I like short-term self-directed empowered approaches. So I call this psychic empowerment, where my patients unfortunately give me a lot of credit for therapy. In reality, I do 1%, they do 99%, because what they're doing is connecting with their higher self, the superconscious mind, the perfect part of their soul, which lives in the fifth dimension. You see how the fifth dimension becomes the key again. Everything is fifth dimensional related. Absolutely. So can you explain a little bit about connecting with the higher self? Because in my circles, we talk about that a lot, but what does that actually mean to connect with the higher self? And I know okay, in your sure. book- what, what you're doing here, basically, if they go to my homepage on my, my website, I hope you link it up to your podcast. Absolutely. There are five different exercises. One of them uh, is, uh, well, there's a one about psychic self-defense, but there's also the fifth dimensional travel. Uh, there's a fifth dimensional travel exercise, a written exercise right on the website. So they can do it there. Okay. Uh, they can order CDs for me if they want, or MP3 files. I have about 150 different CDs and titles about taking them into the fifth dimension and doing the various techniques. Also, if they go to my homepage in the upper right-hand corner, there's a YouTube channel link. I have like 55 different videos on my YouTube channel. They can see what it looks like. They can see me on national television. Uh, doing actual regressions, progressions, uh, extraterrestrial contacts, time travel 
color contacts, all these things that I do in my practice, they can see how people actually do it because it's very natural and very safe. There's no problems with it. Going out of the body into the fifth dimension, I've done that over 3000 times in my life and I'm still on the earth plane. So there's no danger to it. In fact, when you go to sleep at night, you go into your REM cycle or dream levels, which is academically verified three hours a night. You're actually not only dreaming, but you're in the fifth dimension. You're in the upper astral plane, preferably not the lower. You don't want to be there. Um, but you're actually going out of the body every night for three hours, broken up into four or five sleep cycles. So one of the things I like to discuss is teleportation, which is a really big topic. Now, teleportation, just to define it, is a um, you physically move your body from one place to another without any vehicles or any artificial man-made approaches. You're just zipping along physically from one place to another. So there is a very documented case. In fact, the most documented one in history occurred in... Um, October 25th in 1593. So you got to go back like 500 years. Uh, and this is in Mexico City. Mexico City in those days was owned by the Spain as a colony. Okay? They had a colonial empire. They had the Philippines, Mexico, and various places around the world. So um, one day a man appears in the middle of the square in Mexico City out of nowhere, right? He just materializes like Star Trek here and he's wearing a Spanish uniform. Now in those days, the Spanish uniforms are very different from Europe, were very different than the Mexican uniform. So he had a Mexican, he had a Spanish uniform and gun, very different than the Mexican one. So they said, what are you doing? So he's very nervous and he says, He's all saying, he says, oh, he says, I, I tried to save the governor. He was murdered. It wasn't my fault. And they said, what are you talking about? He says, what governor? The governor's alive. He says, the governor, he's talking about Gomez Perez das Moranos, the governor of Manila or the Philippines in mm -hmm. 1593. And they said, Manila, you're 9,000 miles away. What are you, crazy? And he said, well, they arrested him. They put him in jail. They had a priest give him an exorcism. They thought he was possessed by demons. Remember, this is the 16th century. And then the uh, historical people, the sheriffs, whatever the, whatever the local uh, police were, they documented his case. So he's documented by the Catholic Church as well as the history, uh, the, the government uh, administrators. Okay, so now what was it turns out two months later, he's in jail now. This is October, end of October. Two months later, around Christmas time, the ship, Spain would send a ship from all the way around the world to check up on their colonies, right? Mm -hmm. So they went to the Philippines. They go there and they hear about the governor who was murdered. That's the true story. Now the ship two months later goes to Mexico City. And now when they arrive, they, of course, want to check in with the local mayor and things like that. And they said, hey, we got a guy here um, uh, who says that um, uh, he was in Manila. Uh, and they said, well, let me see him. So they take him to the jail. One of the guards says, yeah, I know who that is. That's Gomez. OK, they recognized him. He was correct. The governor was murdered in 1593 in October. They released him. He went back to a ship and he went back to the Philippines. So my point is, how did he get from Manila to Mexico City in a matter of instantaneously 9,000 miles away. The only way you do that is teleportation. So um, that is a good example of teleportation. Now, one of my uh, patients, uh, this gets to be kind of, kind of heavy here. Uh, there's a woman I work with. Uh, she was in her early 20s. She was dating a guy who was very physically abusive to her. He would beat her up. He would yell and scream at her, physical, psychological abuse. And she couldn't break up with him. She was kind of wimpy and insecure. You know how women that age can be, okay? 
That yes, that? I was one of them. So I was working with her and I trained her to do teleportation so that she would use a post-hypnotic suggestion in case in, to develop the teleportation technique. She hadn't teleported while I was working with her, but we were working on the training as well as some of the other issues to build up her confidence, et cetera. So now one day she's on the 405 freeway in Los Angeles with her boyfriend and they're traveling about 80 miles an hour and they get into an argument. He throws open the door, the passenger door, kicks her out onto the freeway at 80 miles an hour. I'm surprised she didn't die. She twists her ankle so she can't walk now. There's a car coming in the other direction that's about to hit her head on. She doesn't know what to do. She panics. She uses the post-hypnotic suggestion. The next thing you know, she's on her couch, living room couch. The guy who's going to hit her went right through her. He stopped the cars, of course. They said, where is she? She disappeared. She teleported from the freeway to her couch with a twisted ankle, okay? But she was alive. And the only way she could have survived was teleportation. Fortunately, later on, she was able to empower herself and break up with the idiot boyfriend. But that's a good example of uh, teleportation, which I thought was kind of cute. Now, here's another one where you can actually do things. You can actually another save a life here. Uh, two uh, little girls are about um, nine years old, Brenda and Amy, I call them. They live in Texas, deep in the heart of Texas, right? So they're, coming, they're walking home from school to their nice little suburban house. And all of a sudden, a teenager who's about 18 years old, some boy driving a car who's drunk as a skunk, drives over the curb and is about to kill these two girls. All of a sudden, about an 18-year-old teenage girl dressed in a blue tennis outfit dives like a football player, tackles them, moves them away from the curb, and the car misses the two girls, okay? So these wow. two girls' life was saved by this teenager. Now... All of a sudden, they got to thank this girl, right? All of a sudden, the teenager disappears, just vanishes, just like that. And they don't know what's going on. So they try, they don't want to discuss this with their family. You know, they figure they're going to be labeled as a freak. Mm -hmm. So um, years later, uh, Brenda, uh, uh, the one I call Brenda, she had worked with me therapeutically, right? And so I, I got the end of the story. So what happened is that she was telling me that about nine years later, remember, they were good friends. They, they were friends from school. Mm -hmm. Brenda goes to pick up Amy to play tennis one day. And they're now, now they're in high school. They were senior in high school. Brenda, they knock on the door and Brenda is dressed in a blue tennis outfit. And she said to her, she goes, wow, this is weird. I just fell asleep. And all of a sudden I had this dream that I was uh, 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 tackling these two girls and saving them from a car. Brenda had teleported back in time, nine years, saved the life of her and Brenda deep in the heart of Texas. Okay, wearing the same tennis outfit, by the way, that, that, that Brenda remembered. So that's an example of teleportation, saving a life. And uh, again, uh, she didn't, uh, I didn't train Amy to do this. This was just done by the universe naturally. So this is an example of how teleportation uh, can occur. Now, one of the more documented cases, which is very interesting, a good friend of mine, Brad Steiger, a good buddy of mine, reported this case many years ago. There's a guy named Charles Ingersoll from Cloquette, Minnesota. In 1948, going back in time now, he wanted to, he runs a local radio show. He wanted to, a radio station. He wanted to go to the Grand Canyon. He was obsessed with the Grand Canyon, but he couldn't go. He's too busy and he wanted to take his family there. So uh, he just said, well, I can't, do, I got to go there. Now, seven years later in 1955, he buys a Bosley 35 millimeter slide camera, which was very big in those days, brand new camera, 1955. And he says, okay, I'm going to the Grand Canyon with my family. So he does. He goes there and he's over the edge, you know, taking pictures and this and that. When he comes home, 
back to Cloquette, Minnesota, he decides to go to a local photography store to get his film developed. And when you do there, when you go there, they have these old things. These are called castle films. These were like eight millimeter films of various travel logs. So he sees one on the Grand Canyon. So he says, hey, I think I'm going to get that. So he takes the eight millimeter film. Remember, this is old projectors. This is the old days. Right. And he plays it back at home. Remember, this is 1955. The film is copyrighted 1948. So this film was made 1948. You don't play around with copyright. That's very hard nose. Okay. So it's called Castle Films. So he's playing the film, and guess what he sees? He sees himself leaning over the Grand Canyon with his 1955 Bosley 35 millimeter brand new camera in 1948 copyrighted film. You don't get there unless you teleport. So, so that, that was him. That was him. Yes. What's the odds? Don't forget, what's the odds of him seeing the travelogue, number one? Number two, what's the odds of him being filmed? There's a million people in the Grand Canyon, right? And then what's the odds of him finding it out with his camera that he just bought that year to make it physically impossible for him to have? Because remember, he didn't go to the Grand Canyon in 1948. So that year was very relevant to him, too. You see, so everything else fits into a Twilight Zone episode, but uh, that's a real case. So that's what teleportation is all about. It's the most difficult thing in the world to do it. I've done it myself. I'll tell you my personal example, one of them anyway. I was living in Baltimore back in the old days, years ago, and it was between Christmas and New Year's, a very cold day. It was like 10 degrees outside. And um, I wanted to get out in the sun and get some sun, but it was like 10 degrees. I remember my favorite vacation was going to Montego Bay, Jamaica, several years before that, right? And uh, being on the beach, you know, and relaxing, I said, you know, I wish I was there now, but I couldn't do it. It was a Sunday and I had patience the following day. I couldn't travel at the last minute. So I, I changed into my bathing suit with my little Zoris and my little, uh, little radio, transistor radio. I go on my couch and my dogs are watching me thinking I'm weird. And I decided to do my teleportation technique and see if it would work. The next thing I know, I'm on the beach in Montego Bay, Jamaica. Okay. Wow. It's about 80 degrees. I'm at the, I'm on the sand there. There's this young little college student there, you know, and I'm sitting there talking to her. I said, do you mind if I put my towel down? She goes, no, fine. So we're going swimming and getting to know each other, you know, and I'm there for a couple of hours. And she says to me, she goes, how long are you going to be here? I come here every day at the same time. I said, well, my flight leaves soon, but uh, if, if, I'm, if it's delayed, I'll definitely come back here. So the next thing I know, I'm back on my couch in my Baltimore home. You say, well, that could just be a dream or an out-of-body experience. Remember, teleportation is physical. So I said, really? Number one, I had sand in my sneakers. My bathing suit was soaking wet. And there's one thing you cannot do with hypnosis. I've done everything. I had a suntan. You don't get a suntan in Baltimore on December 28th when it's 10 degrees outside, okay? So that's confirmation that you were actually yeah. there. I teleported, yes. I teleported from Baltimore to Montego Bay and back to Baltimore again. So by the way, when you do teleportation, the same principles applies to out-of-body experiences when just your soul is traveling. You, you do come back. You can't be stuck and just never come back. So there's no danger to it. It's a very mm -hmm. difficult experience to do. Yes, it's the hardest thing to do, but it's fun. Um, it's very enlightening. You're in the fifth dimension. You're traveling through wormholes. It's not like Star Trek. You don't have little sparkles that you dematerialize. That's not what happens. What the way we explain it scientifically, as you walk into a wormhole and you travel instantaneously from one end of the uh, planet to the other, or you can travel through the universe if you can go interplanetary with that. 
if you do this correctly. So um, uh, that's what teleportation is about. So can you explain the difference between teleportation and outer body experiences? Is In outer body experience, you're lying on your bed or a couch or a recliner, whatever you're doing, your soul travels, that's your your life force occupies a spiritual body like your astral body, but your physical body doesn't go anywhere. You are still where you were doing your relaxation, meditation, or hypnosis. So okay. you're not physically anywhere other than where you are doing your technique. The soul will then occupy your spiritual body. If you go to the astral plane, we call it the astral body. It leaves a clone of itself, so you're not going to be possessed by some lower astral entity. You don't have to worry about that. But there's no physical movement, whereas in teleportation, you physically go from one place to another. You're not going to wind up underwater and drowning or in the middle of a mountain. You're never going to do anything that's going to endanger your life. Not only have I teleported and dozens of my patients that I've trained, but also throughout history, if you do the research in my book, uh, Time Travels from Our Future, I uh, document several, many of the very famous cases like I was talking about here and many others of teleportation all throughout history. Now, as far as the Fifth Dimension, my most current book, Exploring the Fifth Dimension, is actually the best book because there's a section there on teleportation, uh, out-of-body experiences, and parallel universes are described there in detail. That's what the book is all about. Yes, so. I've done some of the exercises, not the deeply into the teleportation, but the other ones. And it's been, I mean, my first experience was like instantaneous. I had well, that, all the, that book has dozens of exercises. All yes. my books have exercises. So I like to do that. Now, parallel lives is also need to be discussed too. So um, when you do, as we're living now, and this is, by the way, is backed by quantum physics and, uh, and astral physics too. There are parallel universes out there. They call this the brain theory, B-R-A-N-E, is what they call it as a membrane. That's the theory mm, okay. quantum physicists use. Anyway, what happens is that as we're living now, there's you and me in the same DNA physical body living in parallel universes that are very similar to the universe we have today, except the events are different, okay? So um, here's an example. Uh, in my experience with documenting this, and I wrote a book called Custom Design Your Own Destiny, which goes in details with this. There are, there's an infinite number of parallel universes according to the, the math, but basically there are five major categories. So each category has an infinite number of subsets. So when you want to do parallel universes to see which one you want to switch into, and I'll explain that in a moment, um, you don't have to do an infinite number. All you have to do is five. So here's an example. The universe, again, the events are different, but the physical matters are the same. You look the same. You can have your same family there. You're going to live. You don't have to be in the same country or city. You could be in a different area, but the basic universe physically is the same. So back in 1990. Two, I was approached by a good friend of mine from the East Coast. Uh, he was a writer and he wanted to do a television movie based on one of my cases. Mm -hmm. and he knows because I, you know, he knows my work very well. And I said, okay, his name is Alex. And I said, Alex, look, you're a nice guy. You're a very good writer, but you, uh, as they say in Hollywood, you can't get arrested here. Your projects always fail. So I'm not going to waste my time. He says, no, I have a producer friend of mine that uh, she's done movies for television. I said, well, give me your name. I checked her out. She was a very well produced. Uh, she had like 15 movies for television. So I said, well, if she calls me to have a meeting, we'll have a meeting. Until then, no, no meeting, okay? So she calls me. She goes, let's, let's get together. So now she looks at one of my cases. It's a documented case from Buffalo, New York in 1927, where this woman was murdered. 
And she was um, in her current life obsessively attracted to a married man who was trying to kill her three different times. It's a very interesting case. Mm -hmm. So she says, yeah, this could be a movie for television. And I said, where are you going to go with it? She said, CBS. I said, really? The old fart network? Really? Don't you want to go to maybe NBC, Fox, you know, ABC? She goes, no, CBS. I said, okay. Well, as we go along with this, we're going through the production level of this and the treatments, they call this, this the teleplays that Alex is writing. There's a political problem with the network. Somebody they hired was suing the network. There was all kinds of problems. And the network was not going to air it. They put it into what we call developmental help. So mm -hmm. Alex is panicking because he's the kind of guy that no matter how much money he makes, he's always in debt, you know, that kind of guy. Very common in Hollywood, okay? So I said, look, Alex, I'll fix it. He said, what do you mean? That network doesn't want to hear from you. And I said, I don't talk to those energy vampires. I said, I'm going to use my parallel universe, new you technique, as I call that, mm -hmm. and I'm going to change it. So he said, whatever. So I use my technique. I perceive my different parallel universes, one of which, or there were probably others, but the one that I focused in on, the movie would air, and many other things were going to happen to my life over the next 25 years. Mm -hmm. okay? So I figured, okay, I'll switch tracks. So I, all I know is I do the technique, and I'm going through my life, and all of a sudden, I get a call from the network. CBS says, we need you at a meeting. We're going through pre-production. The movie aired on uh, May 17th, 1994, The Search for Grace on CBS. It was a very high-rated movie. Had a Nielsen rating of like 18 at the time, which means 18 million people saw it. Um, and, um, uh, and many other people in my life became relevant that I didn't know. Personal friends of mine, women I would date. Uh, I see this guy that I'm doing. At that time, I was working with Art Bell on the Coast to Coast AM radio show. Mm -hmm. uh, radio show. And Art was um, the beginning of his career with the Coast to Coast. Meanwhile, as I'm going through my time here, going into the year 2000, I see this guy who looks like a Greek fisherman doing the radio show. That's my joke, my Greek fisherman. That's George Norrie. I didn't know who George Norrie was. Oh, okay. okay. So I always tell him that joke. He laughs when I tell him that because uh, he looks like a Greek fisherman. Okay. So um, anyway, uh, as it turns out, every one of those aspects that I saw that came true. So I switched from the universe I was in in 1994 to the universe that I'm in now. I train people to do that because some of my patients have really bad histories. They've uh, had criminal records. They've had incurable diseases. They've had humongous problems in their life. And there's nothing they can do to change it. You can't change the past, but they can switch into a parallel universe. So if your life really sucks, you, there, there is hope. You can actually switch path. I've done it myself as well as hundreds of my patients. So that's so is, technique. is this what you refer to as the new you technique? New, yeah. Okay. So here's an example. Let me give you a simple example. A woman, I call her Marler, not her real name. Mm -hmm. She comes to me way back uh, about well, 20 years ago. Uh, and she uh, is uh, overweight. She's got insomnia. She's got, she's like in her early 30s. She does have, she's very depressed. Nothing is working for her. So she says, I don't know what to do, doctor. And she's almost suicidal. Okay. So I said, look, why don't we do the new you technique? What do you got to lose? Right. Because everything else is, you know, she goes, okay. So she goes, I got nothing to lose. So I go, I take her through the five frequencies and frequency number one, she loses her job. She remains unemployed for six months, no functional relationship, eventually a new job that pays very little compared to what she's doing now. So that's what we call the terrible frequency, right? Mm -hmm. So now we go into frequency number two, same job, no significant changes in her life, occasional dating, no serious relationship. So that was basically the, the frequency she was on now. That's her current frequency, number two. Number three, she's got the same job, some health problems, 
Uh, Long-term relationship with a man ends in 1994 in frustration, a weight gain of 10 pounds and moves back to Northern California where she's from. So number three is, is kind of like a little below average, right? Number four, she meets a successful businessman, one year engagement, marries him, has two children, uh, a son and a daughter and uh, moves to Brentwood, which is a very affluent area of Los Angeles, very happy, loses eight pounds, opens up a small boutique and is very successful. So that is her ideal frequency. Number five um, is a um, pretty good one, but not the best. She meets uh, uh, an actor. What's the odds in Los Angeles, right? Um, good relationship. They get married. He quits acting and is employed with a computer company. She has one child, moderately happily happy, but she works in a job that she still doesn't quite like that much. In other words, no boutique, no self-employed status. So in other words, number five, frequency five was the second best. Number four was the best. So I said, what do you want to do, Marla? It's your choice. She goes, I want number four. Mm -hmm. I said, fine. So we switch tracks, do the, do the techniques. Now, a year and a half later, she contacts me. Everything in frequency number four came true. Now, we have to understand one thing here. When people evaluate my work, it's a very important concept here. I say this on the air all the time, and nobody seems to listen to me. So I want this on tape. I am responsible for 1% of a patient's therapy. The patient connecting with their higher self, the superconscious mind, the perfect part of your soul, they do 99% of the therapy in the fifth dimension during the dream levels or the REM cycle at night. So that's where the therapy works. I train them during the day when I see them. They're, they're being trained to access the higher self, the superconscious mind, as we call it. And when they go to sleep at night, then that's when the higher self is going to work with them, including bringing spirit guides into their awareness, whatever they need to do to uh, connect with their um, uh, uh, with the soul's energy to magnify their goals. So any of the goals, that, as long as they're humanly possible, they can accomplish it. Wow. Through all these different techniques. Now, I, I have a question about the for the audience. How important is the spiritual growth in this lifetime? Well, uh, it's extremely important because, see, we, we live in this is a karmic cycle. What you want to do is the average person out there has about a thousand past lives. That's not impressive. You want to get out of here in two lives. You want to be a child, a mother, and a father. Mm. Okay, That's the way it was set up. But people just add insult to injury, do stupid things, break universal laws. And, you know, that's what people do. Okay, so um, you want to get out of here. And therefore, the karmic cycle, you want to become spiritual because the universe only has two emotions. You have fear, which causes all the problems. And then you have unconditional love. And that leads to ascension, which is perfecting the soul and rejoining the God energy complex. So a lot of my female patients, when I asked them, I said, what's your goal? And they would say, I want to be a soulmate. And I said, okay, what's your definition of a soulmate? And they would say, I want to meet a man who gives me unconditional love. Mm -hmm. I said, if you want unconditional love, get a dog. I, rec I recommend a miniature schnauzer. <laughs> I have, okay, karma, my dog. I said, people are not capable of unconditional love. You can come close to it but you're never going to get unconditional love from a human. However, you want to move to that level and you don't want to deal with fear. That's why I call this psychic empowerment, taking charge of your life by accessing your higher self. If you, if you look at every problem in the world, greed, jealousy, obsessive compulsive disorder, anxiety, depression, uh, you name any issue in the world, and I will show you how it's related to fear. Fear is why people kill other people, okay? Jealousy. Greed, whatever you look at it, the oldest, look at the Old Testament. The first crime was murder, right? Cain and Abel, okay? 
right? Jealousy, right? Okay, so um, uh, you want to move towards uh, a spiritual life. And that doesn't mean being what I call airyfairy.com. That doesn't mean sitting around and just meditating all day long and, and not working and not taking care of your family. No, it means you can do what you do, but you do it with a positive mindset. Okay, that, and, and you don't take advantage of other people. There are universal laws out there. Those are the only ones I care about, by the way. I'm not a big fan of religious or secular laws. I'm a big fan of universal laws. The universal laws are, are being plagiarized by the other two, okay? Not the other way around. So the universal laws, the law of karma, law of abundance, all these laws are, are made by the God energy complex, of which our higher self is an agent remnant from. So we come from the God energy complex by the way of our higher self. So you want to merge with your higher self eventually at the moment of death, and that will take you into ascension mentality. And then you don't have to come back. You don't want to come back on this dimension or any others. You want to go to the higher planes and rejoin the God energy complex. And that's what this is all about. And by the way, these all these other dimensions are the fifth dimension. Okay, okay such a such clarity around that. Can I ask you a question about the oversoul? This is something that I've heard you. And then I also want to ask a question about conscious dying. Okay. Well, the answer is yes, but you don't have to ask permission. You can ask me any question you want. Okay. So the oversoul is when the original soul, the first life on earth, split into a male and female energy point. You will meet that, that, that soulmate, which is what the oversoul really refers to, only at the end of your karmic cycle. So people say, I want to meet my soulmate right now. Um, the true twin flame, as it's called, or the true soulmate, you're not going to meet that until the end of your karmic cycle. Because if you met that person now and you still had 10 more lives to live, every other relationship would seem just boring and dull. And uh, it would be like having filet mignon and then having hamburgers for the rest of your life. Okay. <laughs> So you're going to meet that. Now, there is a boundary soulmate, which is not the twin flame, but these are people you've had very positive relationships with in past lives. And you can meet those people and that's fine, but you're not going to meet your twin flame to marry back to the oversoul until the very end of your karmic cycle. Oh, so if someone's met their twin flame or they think they have, then that's probably the end of their karmic cycle. Right. But the, the operative word there was think because people do not meet their two twin flames. I'll give you an example. When, so, when someone says, hey, I met my soulmate. And see, especially in Southern California, everybody thinks they have a soulmate, right? That they meet. Right? I say, okay, tell me about your relationship. Well, you know, he is a little selfish at times. And, and uh, yeah, he cheated once on me. I said, that's not a twin flame. A twin flame is the other half of you. It's going to be, it's going to be like, you're going to think you're looking in the mirror when you see that person, okay? Mm -hmm. Except it's the other sex. Um, so, by the way, 75% of your past lives are as one sex. You do change sexes, mm -hmm. but most of the sexes are as one, whether you're male or female. I'm going to eliminate the 85,000 sexes that people think they have today, okay? There are only two out there, folks, okay? Trust me, okay? I'm a, I have a doctorate, okay? Uh, but um, so that's the twin flame. So what was your other question now about conscious dying? About the conscious dying. This is fascinating to me and how we can actually consciously die. Well, the conscious dying is really an ascension technique. It's a way of merging with your higher self at the moment of death so that you can avoid going to the lower astral plane where people go to when they die, unfortunately, and to go to the soul plane where now they can 
access their higher self and their spirit guides, whoever's around as your advisors, and then eventually move up into the higher planes and no longer have to reincarnate. So that's what conscious dying means. Now, conscious dying has another element to it. Uh, I have a program called the Conscious Dying Training Program with our CDs to train people to do this. You can actually help people that are on the other side. If you've lost a relative, uh, whatever that is, it could be a boyfriend, girlfriend, a grandparent, whatever it is, and they're, they're undoubtedly going to be on the lower astral plane. So now they're going to be in a bad neighborhood. You can actually use these techniques to get them from the lower astral into the upper astral and then eventually to the soul plane to reincarnate. Because if they're on the lower astral plane, they are in trouble. They are really suffering in a bad neighborhood. you got all kinds of weird entities there, pixies, trolls, reptilian aliens, greys, uh, demonic entities, all these uh, werewolves and vampires that we talk about, they're lower astral entities. So um, conscious dying allows them to help the departed loved one. And remember, here's an interesting thing about that. When people have died, they go through bereavement, you know, the people on the earth plane. Bereavement is characterized by depression. Once you do conscious dying techniques, and I've done this with people in a family, I work with one person who did not tell their family what we're doing because they come from a very conservative family. Once right. they get the person from the lower astral plane to the upper, all bereavement on the earth plane ends. So wow, whole, even for the others that are bereaving? Right, because the person on the lower astral plane is actually, even though they're not trying to do this, they're actually psychically attacking everyone because they're panicking. They're saying, I'm in a bad neighborhood, get me out of here. And they're sending out all this negative energy and other, their loved ones, people who know them the best, they will experience that as depression. Once you get rid of that element, because now they're going to the upper astral plane where there's no more negative projection of negative energy, then these people on the earth plane that are not aware of the technique I'm working with, their cousin or daughter or whatever, all of a sudden the energy changes and the bereavement ends. Mm. No placebo effect because they didn't know about me. So the only way that can explain that is that the energy was removed. And that's that's another element of conscious dying. You can help people on the other side. This really touches home as... Um... I lost a loved one not too long ago, a few weeks ago. And yeah, the, the peace almost that I felt because I knew she was at peace. And that brings me to this fear of dying, right? I, ever since I came into this life form, I never really had a fear of dying, which got me into trouble a lot of the time. But why do you think people have such a fear of dying versus don't have well, a fear it's, of dying? It's the brainwashing of the media and their religious spaces uh, and mm -hmm. society in general. Remember, society consists of three bureaucracies, none of which are on your side. Government, corporations, and religion. Okay, None of them, they, they can't stand you. They just want money and power. And they lie to you all the time. They gaslight you and they use power to do that. Okay, All right. So you can still live in the world. I live in that world. I don't, I don't let it bother me because I ignore society. Okay, I do my own thing. I could care less about, uh, I don't wear masks. I don't do social distancing. And I'm going to be 73 years old in two weeks and I'm in great shape. Okay, I play tennis wow. every weekend. Okay, so you can, uh, you know, whatever. I also read scientific articles about why you don't need a vaccine. All right, but anyway, getting back to this then with the idea of, um, of, of helping people on the other side in your particular case, you've been brainwashed by society to fear death because people, uh, well, you're also an empath, so you're gonna be more suggestible to the negative energy. The world that we live in has tons of negative energy and you pick it up like an empath. Which... Yeah, I do, but that's- All right, now the other aspect here is that, so um, society always says, death, this is bad. You're gonna wind up in hell. You're gonna be, you know, you're gone, you're toast. I think one of the reasons why 
Los Angeles, where I live, is the plastic surgery capital of the world is because I think women mostly, uh, they go into plastic surgery, not just to look good, but I think they figure if they look good, they're going to live longer, which is not exactly a relevant medical principle here. Okay. It, I, I'm serious. I think it's, a, I wrote a book called Look Younger, Live Longer, where I go into details about this. Um, but anyway, society says death is evil. Uh, it's terrible. You're going to wind up in hell. By the way, hell was made up by the Egyptian mystery school priest, which I document in my Egypt book. Um, so this is all uh, gaslighting and bullshit by society just trying to control you. Because you understand, if you're an empowered soul, society can't use you. You're independent. You're not married to them. You're not obsessed with their products or their services or their yada yada. That's what they want. They want to control you. One last question. The karmic, how can we clear our karma? Well, you clear it by accessing your higher self. Your higher okay. self is a perfect energy source. So let's say your soul represents, I'm going to use a zero to a hundred scale. Let's say your soul's rate is 20 and, and, and the higher self is a hundred. There's a universal law that says you can never lower your soul's energy, no matter what you do. You can add karma on, but you don't lower the energy. So if your soul level at 20 is exposed and trained to connect with the higher self at 100, you can't lower the higher self. It's always going to be 100, but you can raise that 20 to maybe 30 or 40 or raising it up the ladder, knowing that you can't lower it anymore. And that's how you cleanse not just the spiritual aspects, uh, but the karmic aspects, too. So that's why I call this a super conscious mind tap or cleansing to train my patients. The main technique is to connect with the higher self. I call that a super conscious mind tap. And then they raise their soul's energy and then they are perfecting themselves or getting better and better, being more resistant to the negative forces and psychic attack that's around us. There's tons of negative energy and to be able to accomplish their goals and to feel better, to remove anxiety, depression, obsessive compulsive tendencies, uh, whatever. When people have bad luck, for example, that's a psychic attack. There's no such thing as luck. It's negative energy. So if you use positive energy to counteract that, positive energy will always counteract negative energy. And that's how they can improve their life. Absolutely. Thank you for dedicating your life to this work. It's so important. How can the audience get in touch with you further and buy your books and your products and your CDs? Okay, well, I, I don't know if you hooked up my website. I will, yes. I... So there's a website. Those, those, uh, they can just go to my homepage. It's got all the information there. I've got all my CDs on there. My books are on there. I mentioned my YouTube channel with links on there. There's exercises. There's articles on there. I've got about 30 articles. They can read about the techniques. So everything is on the homepage. Uh, and I also do a monthly webinar. Uh, the second Sunday of the month, everything is on the homepage. Uh, this, by the way, uh, the Sunday, I'll be doing one on conscious dying on the November 14th, anyway, the week from the Sunday. Uh, but every month, uh, the second Sunday of the month, I do a brand new webinar, which includes a group hypnosis exercise. So it's a lot of fun and it's a good orientation to the techniques that I do here. Wonderful. Looking forward to joining that. Thank you for sharing your time and energy with us, Dr. Bruce Goldberg. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure, Carrie. It's a, it's a pleasure to speak with you and I like what you're doing to the universe too. So it's a quid pro quo here. Thank you. Mantras for manifesting. If you know anything about me, you know I love the concept of manifestation. That's why I've created a guide for you called Mantras for Manifesting. What are mantras and why are they so important? Mantras are a collection of words that have energy to help you create a new reality. And why is it so important? Because words have energy and it depends on the right syntax 
or order that you put them in that's either going to help you amplify your dreams and your visions or detract you from creating the best life possible, your vision and your dream and making it reality. I would love to extend this gift to you. Click the link in my show notes where it says free gifts, mantras for manifesting, and you will also receive the five steps to manifesting flow so you can be in a state of peace, ease, grace, and flow every day of the week when you put this into practice. I cannot wait to hear the success stories coming through when you put your mantras into a movement behind your passion Thank you for listening and investing your time with me because I believe we are all here to learn, grow, and evolve effortlessly into the future. If you enjoyed what was shared today, I encourage you to subscribe, rate, review, and share because together we can do so much more. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Carrie Faith on Purpose to find out more opportunities to uncover your deepest why.